welcome to National Treasure Hunt, the podcast where the secret lies not only with Charlotte, but also with your co-hosts. I'm Aubrey. And I'm Emily. And today's episode is one that honestly I have personally been looking forward to for a long time because we're comparing National Treasure as a franchise to another franchise today, one that I know several of our listeners have been watching because we have gotten this episode requested numerous times on social media, Emily. We have, and honestly, I feel like this one has been in the bank, I don't want to say since season one, yeah, season one. Literally, it has been in the bank as a possibility or like on our future episode list since we generated our first episode list. (laughs) Wow, yeah. So, I mean, it's been here, uh, and now we're doing it. It is way overdue. Today, we are comparing National Treasure to a TV show called Blood and Treasure. Not sure if you've watched it. As someone who has seen the first of two seasons, um, I can recommend. I thought it was great. Okay, I I have not watched it, which I think is going to make this episode as entertaining as any uh, pop culture episode can be. Um, but, you know, after reading some of this uh, in our outline, I, I'm I'm intrigued. And, you know, maybe you'll be able to convince me through our conversation today. Oh, I will do my absolute best. But before all of that, we have to begin the way we start all episodes here on National Treasure Hunt. And that is an acknowledgement of just how far into the pit beneath Parkington Lane that Emily and I have both fallen, how Parkington Lane is trying to take over our lives just as it took over Shaw's. These are our screams from Parkington Lane. (laughs) All right, Emily, what do you got for me this week? Okay, so I am actually combining two of my favorite things, which are uh, National Treasure and Superman. Okay. So, um, there is a new animated show called My Adventures with Superman, and it features Superman, um, <laughs> Lois Lane, and Jimmy Olsen, who is one of their friends and is a photographer for the Daily Planet. Uh, now, there was an episode of this show where there was a bank robbing that had occurred. And the character of Jimmy is kind of like the Riley, I realized, of of the little crew. So he got to have his moment where he was able to, like, look at a picture and figure out at what time the bank robbery was going to occur. I know it sounds weird. And it was almost that time in the show, right? And so I made a comment to my viewing partner, Josh, about how they should have taken daylight savings time into account. Can we can we say like completely conserved plot point, though? Like that is wild. (laughs) Yeah, they didn't take daylight savings time into account and they didn't have to look on the back of a hundred dollar bill or anything like that. Was the time 222? It wasn't. Was it 410? (laughs) No, let's it's it's that's the as deep (laughs) as the connection goes. Let's not push it further. (laughs) All right, tried. What's your scream, Aubrey? All right, so my scream this week is yet another dream because 
I probably have national treasure dreams at least once a week, which is embarrassing, but I own it. Um, the most recent one, um, I woke up and I was super sad that it wasn't real. It's one of those because I had a dream that for whatever reason, Disney and like the Wibberleys and the production team for Edge of History, they were doing a table read after filming was over for some reason and in the dream it made perfect sense like there was a very logical reason for this to happen um saying it aloud it makes absolutely no sense but in my dream there was a post-production table read happening with all the actors and you and I were invited to watch and then partway through the table read we were like thrown into the reading and like playing characters ourselves what yeah were they good care like was i riley's daughter or something (laughs) i don't remember the specifics but i do remember that we actually had to speak um and that you were very good at it you don't need to sound so surprised no i'm just saying you were so pat yourself on the back dream emily is a good actor um and yeah that was my dream i woke up and was like first my first response or reaction was sadness again that this was fake and my second one was why on earth would they do a table reading after the show was canceled? <laughs> like, great, great questions all around. Um, that that's a good one. I feel like it's rivaling mine for sure. We're always in competition here, but you know what, Em? We actually have someone new joining the Scream competition this week. Do tell. So, as you know, Emily, one of the perks for our Patreon is that our lovely National Treasure Hunters over on Patreon can submit their own screams from Parkington Lane for us to feature here on the episode. And this week, we actually have a scream from Lillian. Um, And she says, and I quote, I was listening to a different podcast earlier today, and there was mention of someone using a pen name. And the host of the podcast said, oh, like Silence Do Good and Ben Franklin. I had to double check which podcast I was listening to, end quote. What was the podcast? So I did ask. She said it was Trashy Divorces. And I don't. she said the episode I listened to yesterday featured Harvey Keitel. Does that mean he had a trashy divorce? <laughs> Lillian, report back. What did Harvey Keitel say on trashy divorces? Um, or what did they talk about in the context of Harvey Keitel and trashy divorces? National Treasure Hunt wants to know. But Lillian, this is a fantastic scream. This is the epitome of a scream. So you're mm-hmm. completely accurate. And this is a great one. So thank you so much for sharing. Yes, thank you. Um. Okay, before we get down to business, uh, we do have a couple of other reminders for you all. The first one is, in case you've forgotten or in case this is your first foray into National Treasure Hunt, we did recently launch a really cool collaboration with the woman-owned candle company called Clio. So we now have a collaborative candle called In Congress, July 4, 1776. It is based on the olfactive history of Independence Hall at the time of the Declaration of Independence signing. And this week, um, I just thought you and I could quickly reflect on how we, with the guidance of Cleo really like narrowed down what sorts of scents should be part of the, I don't know, aromatic composition of this particular candle. Cause it was super interesting. 
It was. I mean, I remember being like, wood. <laughs> and us needing to be a lot more specific. <laughs> yeah. So what Cleo does is, is they start researching primary and secondary source literature about the particular event or moment in time in history. And so... Yes, Emily was like wood, and that ended up translating to, okay, like what were the desks made of in the assembly room at Independence Hall, or what um, what were like the writing tables made of that Thomas Jefferson used? And so there's mahogany in the scent of the candle. Um, the other components include things like how would the signers have lit the room, you know? what candles did they use at the time? And we learned a lot about how um, wealthier individuals would use a certain type of wax that actually smelled way better than something that the average Joe or the average person in general would use at the time. So there's like bayberry in the scent composition. So it was really interesting. It was, it was really cool. Uh, and then like smelling those different things oh my gosh we'll talk about that next week we have to talk about that next week. yeah it's a whole other That's, conversation it's it, yeah it was it was fun um but yeah i mean going from literally like wood candles to like specific scents was very cool supremely i would do it again in a heartbeat and if you all want to learn more about that you can go to explore cleo k-l-e-i-o.com to not only order the candle for yourself but there's actually a blog like an article written up on the website that explains the aromatic composition and all the history that we were just like alluding to so check that out for sure do check that out and while you're on the internet because i guess we always are nowadays um go ahead and find us on twitter and instagram at nt hunt podcast uh you can also find out like everything about us except for like our bathroom sleeping schedules at nthuntpodcast.com <laughs> uh please go ahead and order our book uh national treasure hunt one step short of crazy at tuckerdspress.com it is a national archives bestseller and while you're at it go ahead and join our patreon uh we have three tiers and you can join at patreon.com slash nt hunt podcast especially if you want to hear your screams on a future episode of the pod yeah especially so okay um this is our traditional compare contrast episode um emily you're typically kind of in charge of these so how is this episode going to shake out like outline wise that's a great question. So uh, what we're going to be looking at is a summary of Blood and Treasure provided by me, of course. I'm kidding. Wow. I wish you could have seen Aubrey's eyes. It'll obviously be provided by Aubrey. Um, then we're going to go into some themes of Blood and Treasure and how they relate back to the National Treasure franchise. So these themes will include familial ties. Uh, historical versus supernatural events, characters and actors, behind the scenes, and the merits, uh, pros and cons of a television show versus a movie format for treasure hunting related projects. That sounds great. It sounds like we have a lot to talk about here. I do want to note um, that Blood and Treasure does have two seasons. 
um, and was canceled after the second season. We'll talk about the production drama a little bit in a moment. Um, but this conversation today will primarily focus on season one, um, which was more widely available, like it aired on broadcast, cable, TV, etc. Um, but just keep that in mind. We're going to talk mostly about season one of Blood and Treasure today. Jumping in with the summary, um, I, I will take it upon myself, Emily, to dive right in if that's okay with you. Yes. Okay. So for context here, and the reason why Blood and Treasure has been on the list since season one of National Treasure Hunt is because the show premiered on CBS in May of 2019. So this is almost exactly one year before National Treasure Hunt was born. How cute. Um, the it's I always find it hard to summarize a whole season of a show. So I'm going to actually keep the summary pretty brief and we'll dive into specifics later. Um, but I would say there are really two principal characters, two leads here, one uh, man and one woman. The man is named Danny McNamara. He's played by Matt Barr. And Danny is a former FBI agent turned lawyer who specializes in returning stolen art and artifacts back to their home countries. Um, throughout this, the show, he's forced to work with the, the woman lead. Lexi Viziri, played by Sophia Pernas. And Lexi is actually an art thief. And of course, Danny's former love interest. Um, and so Danny and Lexi have to work together to basically apprehend a terrorist who uses stolen treasures to finance his attacks. Um, that's kind of the, the big picture premise here. As we'll get into, there are a lot of um, interesting dynamics here where some historical references are made to the Nazis and World War II era, um, and then even more historically into like the ancient Egyptian era, but it still has this vibe of, of being inspired by historical conspiracies or events. Um, it is worth noting that while the first season kind of aired throughout the summer of 2019, the second season, which was greenlit almost immediately after the first season premiered, the second season went through so much production drama, not the least of which was caused by COVID. Um, as we will talk about, this is a very international show. And so being able to actually film it became really challenging. And then in that whole time period, things have really transitioned to such a streamer era. So I really feel like the combination of covid and the amount of time that had passed and taking a show from cbs into a streamer like a streamer era did not serve this show well um the second season finally premiered on paramount plus in july of 2022 it was formally canceled uh earlier this year in february 2023 oh that's kind of sad it was sad. I mean, one of the reasons I was attracted to the show to begin with, I actually watched it as it was airing, like in 2019, um, it was not only because of the National Treasure vibes, but also because of Matt Barr in the lead role. Um, Matt Barr is an actor that most people probably aren't familiar with, but um, he was actually in one of my favorite shows of all time that Emily, you've heard of before, but you won't watch it, Harper's Island. Yes, I. that's what I was going to guess. Yeah, yeah, he was in it. He was one of the main cast members, so... Very cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for that summary. Um, I still think mine would have been more entertaining, but thank you I for... Absolutely would have been more entertaining. Okay. <laughs> now, 
aside from the summary portion, uh, Aubrey, we are switching roles here a bit tonight for the pop culture style episodes, right? Obviously, you have watched the show. I have not. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I could not give up my role in these episodes of guiding us along. I mean, far be it from me to deprive the fans of what they are asking for. Oh, yes, far be it. We would never want to do that. <laughs> so I have taken all of the notes that you so hopefully put into our episode document And I have structured them in a way that is hopefully reminiscent of some of our past pop culture comparison episodes. Do you feel ready to begin? I have never been more ready. I've been waiting for this since season one of National Treasure Hunt. Yes, we have established that. (laughs) Rude, okay. (laughs) Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so first big topic, familial connections. Now, one of the big things in the National Treasure franchise is family. I mean, we know this. This was very present in the movies, the TV show, the books, right, Mm -hmm. that we read. And John Turtletob even commented on this multiple times in the interview that we did with him last season on the pod. So does Blood and Treasure center around any families? Oh, gosh. Yes, times a million. Um, It's making me realize that this is maybe way more common than we think. Um, So first and foremost, I feel it important to point out that Lexi is descended from Cleopatra. Oh, (laughs) super casual. Yeah, so that that's what starts to give the show an ancient Egypt historical hook, you know, Um, actually, the show opens with um, a kind of guest character named Dr. Castillo, who we'll talk about later, um, finding the lost tomb of Mark Antony and Cleopatra. Um, I'm not going to lie. I always wondered if Blood and Treasure finding, quote unquote, Cleopatra would prevent National Treasure 3 or like National Treasure Universe from exploring ancient Egypt in future. Um, Now that it's been canceled after two seasons, probably not. But whatever. Cleopatra ancestor of Lexi. So that's, I would say, the first big family point here. Okay, so this is kind of similar to the Gates family, like, being known to, like, having forever hunted treasures. I mean, maybe that's not great. It's not a direct familial connection (laughs) uh, to American history in at least the National Treasure films, but it's it's still something there. I mean, Mitch had a connection in Book of Secrets, right? Yeah, I I think that's fair enough to say. I think it's interesting how the characters immediately exhibit a personal connection to history that will then motivate the story. That's definitely conserved. But this one, this one is going to blow your mind. Are you ready? Yes. There's more about Lexi here. Her mother, who uh, died like before the series of events in the show, Her mother was a member of an organization called the Brotherhood of Serapis. Now, this to me seems very much to parallel the whole like Knights Templar slash Freemason connection with the Gates family, but even more closely resemble if if you're not like bursting out of your earbuds right now, anyone who's listening. More recently, the Daughters of the Plume Serpent connection for Jess and the Valenzuela family. 
yeah. oh my gosh yeah yeah I was like what I totally forgot about that and just connected the dots here um also finding out that her mom was a member of the brotherhood is a massive reveal and really big news for Lexi which is like even more akin to the daughters of the plume serpent storyline in edge of history okay hold up <laughs> that's like literally so similar to national treasure and edge of history that it's like it's absolutely crazy yeah me. yeah and and you can add in the fact now that um we're also talking about our lead female character having this particular connection like it's so similar so 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 similar wow okay well <laughs> i hesitate to ask this because i don't know how much more similar i want things to get um was there anything else uh, with any other characters and their parents? Because, you know, parent-child issues, pretty common. Yes. Um, so we've been talking about Lexi so far. I would actually argue that, like, if you have a principal character, it's probably Danny. And Lexi is, like, sort of the second in command. That already feels kind of similar, but we'll talk about that later. Um, there is a similarity here for Danny in a, the the sense of parent-child dynamics. So it turns out that Danny's dad is in prison as a former art thief. Um, this actually motivates Danny's choice of career. He wants to do the opposite of what his dad did. Um, also, not only is this giving National Treasure vibes, I will point out, especially to our listeners from, I think, last season, Red Notice, the movie Red Notice, also feels eerily similar to this. Um, long story short, though, because of this and, um, you know, the work that Danny's dad has done, they have a strained relationship. Um, but throughout the course of season one of Blood and Treasure, Danny's dad has something that Danny needs. More specifically, something that happens like Danny ends up being captured by the FBI at some point, And he makes this deal that the FBI is like, we'll release you if you can get your dad to tell you where the 10 missing paintings from his last heist currently are. Um, so I feel like this is slightly reminiscent of how a treasure hunt need brings Danny and his dad back together in the similar way that the need for the silence do good letters in national treasure ends up bringing Ben and Patrick back together. Oh, I like that comparison. I guess we can say it's a good thing that Patrick had the silence do good letters, like, <laughs> in presumably a legal way, right? Like, it's not like Ben, like, Ben was in the wrong mm -hmm. when he was going for the silence do good letters. Um, So, like, if we're trying to, to, you know, to make it seem like it's not just a ripping off national treasure um i guess that's something we can we can go on for sure there will also be some drama in blood and treasure where you find out later that his dad danny's dad was like sort of set up as well in this heist which is like a whole separate thing but um yeah so there there are some distinct parallels for both danny and lexi i guess you could say in this show okay so family issues Family seem, issues is a common theme. <laughs> seem to be a treasure hunt 
related uh theme i mean i'm literally thinking uncharted right now also family issues a lot of family issues you know what emily we should be really careful because from all these comparison episodes it's making me realize that you and i could write a treasure movie aubrey please i i moving on (laughs) (laughs) before you wrote me into anything else okay famous last words (laughs) so aubrey the next section that we're going to uh head into is looking at historical versus supernatural plot devices now i know that you and i have had a lot of conversations about history versus supernatural uh shall we say elements Uh Uh, in some of the other movies and television shows that we've discussed on the podcast, and we've talked about your dislike of the supernatural component and my kind of like, hey, it's what it is. Um, how does Blood and Treasure stack up? Well, I will, b- before answering that question, I will reflect for the good of the order that when John Turtletop independently told us like how he felt that supernatural elements are such a cop-out for movies and that national treasure distinctly didn't do that i never felt more validated than in that moment (laughs) so happy for you glad you you got that validation it was important now answer Um, my question (laughs) oh fine okay okay um all right i have several things to say here i think my general summation is that blood and treasure uses a combination of historical and supernatural. Um, We didn't do any sort of deep historical dive. Like I'm not going to go looking into whether the brotherhood of Serapis is a thing, right? This is not national treasure itself. So we're not dedicating that much detail. Um, I will say that in the show, the brotherhood of Serapis's goal is said to be to quote, preserve the collective knowledge of mankind end quote. Wait, so that's the opposite of the Edge of History um, bad guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you could almost make the argument that the Brotherhood of Serapis's goal is, yes, the, exactly the opposite of the um, Cross S. Nostrum, that one, um, but very akin to the Daughters of the Plume Serpent right mm-hmm. um and being they're they're seeking to preserve their culture and their heritage which is the exact opposite of crossos nostrum as well plus serapos serapis kind of sounds like serpent oh yeah that's the best connection we've made so far today <laughs> moving right along the 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 villain this terrorist um in blood and treasure the way but like what what the terrorist guy is trying to do is he's trying to invoke the legend of Cleopatra's curse and he wants to basically weaponize that curse. To do so he has to have the sarcophagus of her and Mark Antony. It immediately invokes supernatural vibes, right? Which kind of starts putting me in the mindset of an Indiana Jones or a Da Vinci Code. Okay. Okay, I I can see it. Um, Now, before you ask, um, they actually do reference Indiana Jones in the show itself. Oh. Like, the characters reference Indiana Jones in their dialogue. Um, 
Now, the creators of Blood and Treasure did this intentionally. I think they wanted to be self-aware. Um, but they said, basically, the characters in our show are living in 2019. They live in a world where they have seen Indiana Jones themselves. So they are going to comment on this. Um, which makes the Indiana Jones like supernatural parallel feel even more appropriate, I guess. For sure, for sure. So you... You said Da Vinci Code. Now, mm-hmm. I, as you know, am a staunch supporter of the mm-hmm. Da Vinci Code. Could you be more specific as to how you're getting Da Vinci Code vibes here? Yeah, I mean, it's in part the supernatural element that Da Vinci Code has. Um, they do it through the religious elements, right? Um, Blood and Treasure is doing it more through this curse but there's something else here um, in Blood and Treasure. There's also the involvement, an, an important recurring side character is a priest at the Vatican. Um, just, he so happens to be a longtime friend of Danny's because convenient. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. The story itself and even um, this priest's involvement in the story isn't super religious in nature. But because of that Vatican angle, it does give a little bit of a da vinci code vibe right i mean the whole mary magdalene and like that that piece of the robert langdon story right feels connected yeah okay so fair we got some indie we got some da vinci code Mm -hmm. uh so we got the the supernatural slash religious uh element of things what about like history yeah i did say there was some history in this too right (laughs) okay so two things like that jump out at me um particularly i mean there's history throughout the show two things that jump out at me as very national treasure-esque number one at some point lexi ends up needing to decode a ledger that's written in sumerian and this feels i don't know if you know where i'm going with this what this feels like to me do you have a guess uh dr helen mirren a hundred percent this feels very akin to the olmec plank in national treasure too but to me that was like a very direct connection the the other almost more profound historical connection here that gives me national treasure vibes is um i mentioned in the summary section earlier that there will be a references to the nazis and world war ii and them having been involved with the movement of Cleopatra's sarcophagus in history, which is one of the reasons her sarcophagus is missing. Again, it's really giving red notice. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But a new angle to this Cleopatra Nazi legend that is actually presented by Blood and Treasure is the fact that the show purports the involvement of the Krasau Circle I'm not sure if you're familiar with this group, Emily. It was basically a group of around 25 Germans who opposed Hitler and Nazism on the basis of morals and religion. Good for them. Yes. I think we can all agree to that. Um, Blood and Treasure's story says that it was the Krasau Circle that moved the sarcophagus of Cleopatra in the 1940s. This, just as a as a, an explanation feels very national treasure right taking a known but slightly mysterious entity or event from history in this case the Krasau circle and giving it that giving the mystery behind that a rationale or a purpose um 
like the whole Mount Rushmore was a cover-up thing, right? Like Mount Rushmore is a real thing, but let's give it a mysterious spin. So the Krayzal Circle was a real thing. Let's give it a mysterious spin. National okay. National Treasure does that a lot, right? We we on the podcast call it the mic drop moment, mm-hmm. but I feel like they did that here as well. They had their own mic drop moments. Exactly. I mean, hopefully I don't not that, into any blood. Yeah, or hopefully into all of the treasure. Um, but <laughs> can you imagine the feedback if it was just like all gold? Like, <laughs> <laughs> that would be a bear of a podcast episode to edit. I am sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll, I'll try to draw my mic and some gold next time. Ooh, that's a National Treasure Lab waiting to happen, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you for that. Um, Next, I want to move on to characters, actors, just that, you know, that kind of stuff. We have focused so much over the seasons of National Treasure Hunt on characters, right? Mm-hmm. Whether they're the characters from... The movies, the characters from Edge of History. We even go into some depth on the characters from like the the prequel books. Mm-hmm. And we we've also talked about like how important the people portraying these characters are. Mm-hmm. Um, so what can you tell me about these characters and actors? Alright, I have I have some surface level and some deep comparisons to make here. The first one is surface level, but remains one of my favorite things about this show to this day. Um, I recognized this even when I first saw the show in 2019, pre-National Treasure Hunt. It turns out that Dr. Anna Castillo, so the person that I said a little while back, um, she opens the show by actually finding the lost tomb of Cleopatra and Mark Antony. Mm -hmm. Dr. Castillo is played by Alicia Coppola. Um, you don't, you, you know who Alicia Coppola is, but based on your face, I don't think you know why you know her. She's not related to the Coppola family. Oh. No. <laughs> I saw it in your face. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. Um, though that is also a fun connection. Uh, you actually know Alicia Coppola as FBI agent Spellman in National Treasure too. So basically, you know how there, um, there are always like two, like, minor FBI agents following Sadowski around. In the first movie, it's Agent Hendricks and then the guy from Lucifer? Lost. I mean, he's not the main character of Lucifer. He's Lucifer <laughs> in Supernatural. Oh. He also played, like, a dark force on Lost. That's where I know him from. It's Mark Pellegrino is his name. Um, and then in the second movie, for some reason, Lucifer is no longer in the picture. Agent Hendricks is, but but Lucifer is replaced by... Agent Spellman, Alicia Coppola. What a connection. I know. I was like, this is this is the best. Um, okay, so that's my first one. The second point that I want to make here is a little bit more on the character dynamic. So this is gonna be a big spoiler for anyone who wants to watch Blood and Treasure but hasn't yet. So if you don't want to know a big spoiler piece, fast forward like a minute here. Um, there's a, a recurring character named Reese. Reese is Danny's wealthy financier and also a father figure to him. Um, It turns out that Reese has been pulling the strings behind the terrorist organization all along. (laughs) It's giving me some Hendrix vibes. Right? Exactly. I feel like there's a lot of similar parallels here. The one that came up for me 
is like the friend becomes foe double crossing type of dynamic that we come to expect from the Ian and Ben relationship Mm. except in blood and treasure it happens at like a much more traditional time point in the plot like near the end as a twist instead of being used to launch a conflict at the very beginning a la national treasure that that that, that's fair Mm -hmm. you know timing timing there was interesting but yeah cool okay so um gotta gotta ask uh do we have any ben abigail comparisons i i know you said there was like x couple Mm -hmm. dynamics but like can you tell me more about them yeah so danny and lexi are very much ben and abigail okay i mean if Abigail was a thief. Uh, <laughs> but in terms of their relationship and how they work together and their skill sets specifically, Danny and Lexi are very much equals with complementary skill sets. Um, so it's giving very Ben and Abigail with the equality nature there. Um, I would all I would argue though that. Um, in National Treasure, Ben and Abigail's skill sets are not complementary. They're just the same, and they kind of just know everything, you know? Yes. Um, <laughs> I, I kind of – it makes me start to wonder if the concept of characters having complementary skill sets is more akin to actually Jess and her friends in Edge of History. Mm. Um, and I think this might be a, a bigger picture thing about – having a movie versus having a show because when you have a show you have more episodes and more airtime you have more like characteristics of the characters that you can incorporate you also just have more characters so you can like divvy up the skills you know okay so what i really hear you telling me is Mm -hmm. that riley does not have a skill set uh because you gave me no comparison for riley and you said that Ben and Abigail had the same skill set, but did not imply in any way that Riley brought a different skill set to the team. I think what we all know and love about Riley, aside from his humor, is his tech skills. And in Blood and Treasure, you definitely do not have an equivalent character there who's just there for the tech. You have elements of Reese before he is revealed to be a bad guy, like he's super wealthy, so he has access to a lot of technology. You have an interesting dynamic with law enforcement that, you know, law enforcement has, a, you know, the control of technology, things like that. So there is no Riley character here. Okay. Um, that's pretty disappointing. Um, but because you just disappointed me, I'm gonna have to annoy you a little bit. Aubrey, does anyone have to go to prison? I think you mean, does anyone have to go to prison, Ben? Well, I was asking you, not Ben. It's so Emily, you love quotes. Um... (laughs) (laughs) In Blood and Treasure, there is really an interesting dynamic whereby the protagonists are in what I can only describe as like a will they won't they type of relationship with law enforcement like sometimes they're friends sometimes they're foes but it is way this dynamic with law enforcement where they're sometimes working together is way more obvious and overt than in National Treasure. Now all I will say is this will they won't they friend or foe vibe we argue on the podcast all the time that is exactly what we have going on in national treasure 
it is just really subtle and makes you wonder if it's there in the first place, right? In yeah. blood and in blood and treasure, it's not a question. It's very oh, yeah. obvious. Yeah. It's like it's it's so subtle that like, you know, scenes were cut. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Go listen back to other episodes of the podcast if you don't get that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh. So Moving right along, I think one of the things that we talk about a lot with National Treasure and even with Edge of History when we talk to the Wibberleys about it, particularly and National Treasure when we talk to Charles and Oren, is kind of like what the purpose Mm -hmm. of the show was. Right. Obviously, entertaining. Treasure Hunt. We love it. Obviously, we, we, you and I love it because, you know, national treasure. But, like, what was the kind of, like, the background purpose of this? Okay, so everything I'm about to tell you related to the behind the scenes of the show actually comes from a really interesting interview that um, featured both Matt Barr and Sophia Pernas, as well as the show creators and EPs, Matthew Fetterman and gosh, I'm probably going to mispronounce the last name of the second guy. So I apologize. Steven Skaya, Skaya, Saya, something like that. Google it. Maybe. Yes. S-C-A-I-A. This interview uh, comes from a talks at Google session in 2019. And I will share the link to this on our social medias this week. Um, The creators in this interview reveal that up until this point, they had like written a treasure hunter type of script every script season. I don't know if folks know how the Hollywood process works, but for, for shows, there are different seasons where there are just tons and tons of pitches to networks, to streamers, to studios. Um, and apparently these creators were really into like a treasure hunter vibe and blood and treasure was really like their fourth or fifth try to get a treasure hunter type of script made on TV. Um, what I found really interesting, one of the reasons they found that blood and treasure was successful as opposed to their previous scripts is for blood and treasure, they were inspired by the fact that they had learned that a major revenue stream for the terrorist group ISIS was looting antiquities and selling them on the black market. And so that's where this whole art thievery, artifact thievery to fund terrorism plot line came to be. And they they really thought this was a, a big hook because it gave the treasure hunting spin like a modern feel to it. Right, because it's inspired by something happening like at the time. Yeah. Wow. I I really like that. That's super interesting and really mm-hmm. cool of them to kind of like find that out and like you know go with it. Yeah. I think you know, obviously we know that National Treasure and even Edge of History are very much made to bring awareness to things. Mm-hmm. I would say from not having watched it, but from what you've explained thus far. Blood and Treasure doesn't necessarily bring awareness to this, like, ISIS antiquities revenue stream mm-hmm. part of history. But what about just, like, general history, location, stuff like that? Like, does it bring awareness to that kind of stuff? Yeah, I would say that in terms of 
the way we know National Treasure as being like a tour for the viewer, a tour of historical locations or um, sites and events in history, the creators of Blood and Treasure also wanted to make viewers experience the locations and maybe even want to visit those locations. The, the big difference here for Blood and Treasure is that, well, national treasure is primarily domestic. Primarily, I know we've got England and France. Um, Blood and Treasure is like the majority is taking place internationally. It's super globetrotting. Featured locations in the story include places like Rome, the Vatican, Austria, Casablanca, Poland, Quebec, and there's literally more. Um, and a lot of on-location filming took place on location, just like National Treasure. Um, and I find that to be really impressive for, again, a nearly entirely international story like Blood and Treasure is. Um, for Blood and Treasure, they did film in some of the locations I just mentioned, including uh, they filmed in Montreal, they filmed in several places in Italy, including Rome, Turin, Venice, uh, Gresini Saint Jean. They filmed in Vatican City. They actually filmed in Vatican City. Wow. Which feels wild to me. Um, and they filmed in two cities in Morocco, Marrakesh and Tangier. Uh, yeah, so I would say that while the National Treasure is obviously focused domestic, they did a lot of on-location filming. They wanted to bring the viewers into that experience of being in these places and experiencing these places. And Blood and Treasure had a very similar goal. Okay, that's awesome to hear. Um, now, Aubrey, I mean, I couldn't not, because it's your favorite thing, <laughs> ask you about, like, the behind-the-scenes production mm -hmm. of Blood and Treasure. So how does this compare to what we see in something like National Treasure or even Edge of History? Yeah, I'll keep this brief, but I do think it's fascinating. Um, as a reminder, Blood and Treasure is a show. Edge of History is a show. National Treasure is a movie, okay? Blood and Treasure, as a show, was shot like it was a movie. Um, what this means is a few things. Just like National Treasure, the Blood and Treasure crew made a distinct effort not to use green screens, not to use stunt doubles, um, to use CGI literally as little as possible. The creators felt that this made the hunt itself feel more real, which like fair, if they're actually doing these things, it's going to feel more real. Um, but again, this was filmed on location. There were lots of stunts. There were really large scale scenes and chases and big expensive destinations and really no set pieces. So the, in that way, it is so akin to how National Treasure was created, and interestingly, so not similar to how Edge of History was created, even though Edge of History was a show, right? Edge of History was filmed almost all in one place, and they used all sets, almost mm. exclusively. Um, didn't have as much, yeah, it just, it's so, I find that really interesting. Like, Blood and Treasure could have easily been a blockbuster film. Wow. Okay, well, I think, you know, bringing us, bring us around here to the end, you just made a really interesting point about, you know, 
the way that television shows and movies can be filmed in similar ways. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of wanted to ask you, because we've had this conversation a little bit, surrounding Edge of History versus National Treasure, and you mentioned it even a little earlier up top, what are your thoughts on like the television show aspect of blood and treasure like storyline wise and stuff compared to the like theatrical movie aspect of the national treasure films i really think that blood and treasure is a great example of how you can do a treasure hunting property incredibly well and has so much potential to be a long-standing thing i know it got canceled after two seasons i think there were a lot of extenuating circumstances that contributed to that but it does feel like a movie yet you get all of the time with the characters you get all of the development that you want out of a show because you have so much more time to get to know them and to watch their arc um I find this a little bit akin to when we were comparing National Treasure to The Lost Symbol, right? That was another show. Mm. You have a TV show, you have 10 to 12 episodes, and you're comparing it to two films. Even the total runtime of a whole season of a show compared to two films, your runtime is more than double on the show. You have so much more time with the plot, so that's probably why there are more plot-like similarities between Blood and Treasure and Edge of History than there are with the National Treasure films. Uh, There are definitely certain tropes or schematics that you can fit into a show more easily than a movie, like having a a character who's like a mole or having family secrets that come out over time or just watching character dynamics evolve, watching a love story come together in a way that makes more sense and feels less abrupt than it does in the National Treasure movie. Um, And so... If, I guess, in a weird way, what I'm saying is Blood and Treasure is what I wanted Edge of History to be. Oh. Okay. In that it does a good job of developing the characters and developing the plot, but it's big and flashy. It gives you everything you want out of a treasure hunt movie. Um, so in that way, it feels more like National Treasure than Edge of History did. Hmm. I just might have to watch this show. Oh my god, did I do it? Did I convince you? I mean, maybe. We'll see. <laughs> I'll report back, everyone. I think you'll like it. It is, I know you don't like violence and like a lot of gore. Like anything action there's some violence, but it's not gory or anything like that. Is there like a car that. chase? There's definitely at least one car chase, but like, <laughs> think about it. In the grand scheme of things, a car chase the percentage of time spent in car chase and national treasure is actually greater than the amount of time spent in car chase in what would be a TV show. Right. Cause like longer amount of time. So math is on your side. Okay. Aubrey, thank you so much for that. Really interesting conversation. Uh, and for filling me in on all of this, do you have any kind of last minute? Like, I know you just gave me some, but mm-hmm. any additional reflections? Well, I will share, I guess, a controversial thought, and then I would love your reaction to that thought, and maybe even any other thoughts that you had from this conversation as the outsider looking in. Um, I didn't realize this when I watched Edge of History, probably because it had been like three and a half years since I had seen Blood and Treasure, but revisiting the show 
making this outline in this episode today, I gotta, I gotta be honest. I really feel like Edge of History is kind of a Mesoamerican ripoff of Blood and Treasure. Hmm. Okay. I know those are fighting words, and I don't say that to be mean in any way. I just feel like, like, make a few little tweaks and switches, and you have the same show here. Sure. No, that that's really interesting that you point that out because I think this is something that I've been I've been thinking about a lot just in the past couple weeks. Um this idea of like being able to bring new content into yeah. the universe. Mm-hmm. Um and, and not to say that people can't be creative, right? Um and make new things. But I feel like you know, we do inevitably reach a point with some things where we do end up doing a lot of retreading. And I think, you know, treasure hunts have been done. Yeah. Right. Over and over and over again. And I will watch them every time. Um, obviously you will too, because we, we talk about all of the other treasure hunting movies in comparison to National Treasure. Um, but I think it's interesting to consider based on all of the similarities that this show had, even to the, the films themselves and even some of the other Mm -hmm. treasure hunting related films like Da Vinci Code, Indiana Jones and stuff like that. It, it's almost like maybe we can't place the the blame anymore mm-hmm. on the people who made the latest yeah. installment of a treasure hunt for it being somewhat of a retread of what we've already seen because we know that there are components yeah right to a treasure hunt that work and maybe we don't need the supernatural components but like the family thing that's almost always there yeah I think that's really interesting. It's part of a broader discussion in Hollywood and viewership, right? Like, why does everything feel derivative? Um, Because a lot of content has been made. And I think that's true. And it lets us have these conversations in the same way that we could compare National Treasure to Indiana Jones, because everyone said that National Treasure was a ripoff of Indiana Jones. We can now have these conversations about Uncharted, about Red Notice, about Blood and Treasure, and say, like, did they rip off National Treasure, which might have ripped off Indiana Jones? Like, it's, it's all in the ether. And I think one of the things that I really remembered enjoying about Blood and Treasure was it was in on the joke. When they're in, you know, the when they acknowledged Indiana Jones in the script itself, to me that gave like self-awareness that I really appreciated. And honestly, I wouldn't be mad if a National Treasure 3 did something similar. Because guess what? In the intervening years since 2007, when National Treasure 2 came out, there's been a lot of treasure hunty stuff that has come out. And not only do I feel like that has made it harder, infinitely harder for National Treasure 3 to do something that feels unique, maybe it would be better received if there are, end up being similarities if there's a reference to like Uncharted, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Mummy, anything that people are going to end up comparing it to, why not? I would actually love to see that, I think. Yeah. We'll, we'll have to pitch it to, to John next time we chat with him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Okay, well, thank you so much, everyone, for listening to this episode. If you have any thoughts on Blood and Treasure, if you've seen it, if Aubrey has now convinced you to see it as well, <laughs> go ahead and let us know. You can find us on social media. We are on Twitter and Instagram at NT Hunt Podcast. You can go ahead and check out everything about us on our website. And we also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash NT Hunt Podcast. And we do hope you will join us for our next episode of this season. Um, We're going back to Edge of History after just complaining about it a little bit. Um, We're going to be doing a National Treasure Hunt character analysis, a deep dive into Jess Valenzuela. We did this for Ben, Abigail, and Riley in the past. We felt it was only fair to do it for... Ben 2.0, right? So that's what you have coming next time on the pod. But until then, I'm Aubrey. And I'm Emily. And thank you so much for joining us on our national treasure hunt.